Hey everybody, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. This is a podcast where we, that's Molly Herford and myself, we explore all things movement. So that can be people who move really well in a variety of sports, it can be coaches who specialize uh, in a certain discipline or type of study or, or whatever. And so our goal here is to help you find new movements, new sports that you can enjoy and sort of use to become the consummate athlete. Exactly. And I'm, as Peter said, Molly Herford. I'm the author of five books on all things cycling related with the most recent one just about to launch this week, which is very exciting. Um, I'm a writer about all things outdoorsy and fitness related and lover of pretty much everything outdoorsy and fitness related. And Peter, we should have said your name. Well, people people know just by the sound of my voice. Ah, but yes. I am Peter. I am Peter Glassford, and I'm a registered kinesiologist in Ontario. Molly and I travel a fair bit to different clinics and all sorts of things, uh, usually bicycle related, but movement related. And so, I, I my main practice is up in Collingwood, uh, Ontario, and I help people move better. Again, often on bikes and on trail. And yesterday, I was both on the road on gravel path and then also on the mountain bike. So it was a pretty fun day with clients yesterday all over the place. So yeah, that's, that's us. And welcome again to the podcast. Molly, what have you been up to? I know it's been a busy few weeks here. We were at Canada cups and stuff and now you're at home in new or back to New Jersey and working on getting a book out, right? Yeah. It's been a pretty hectic couple of weeks. Uh, Shred girls, Lindsay's Joyride has been available for pre-order for the past a month and a half, so it's not a new piece of news that I have a new book out, but it is exciting that it's coming out this week, so people are going to start getting it in their mailbox if they've done the pre-order. Uh, actually, if you listen to this today and before the 31st, uh, you can still get in on the pre-order action. If you just go to shred-girls.com, there's a pre-order button, and you can go see all the info, and I will say it might be that the t-shirts and the hats are a limited run at this point, so if you want to get in on them, now would be the time. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that, and then uh, because we are training for Ironman at the end of July, the long runs and rides on the weekend are getting longer. I was lucky I got to uh, rope the new editor-in-chief of Bicycling Magazine into doing some of my endurance ride with me on Saturday, so that was really fun being back home for that and then Sunday I roped my dad into riding his lovely uh lovely plus size bike next to me while I ran for 15 miles uh now that's that's a good parent right there um he did it for my first Ironman so it's, it was kind of nice to come a little full circle and be doing it all over again I think I did it better actually uh than I did six years ago mm-hmm Felt good finishing the the fifteen miles and being like, oh, I could just keep going was really nice compared to I think the last time I did it. It was just like get me in the car and get me out of here. So that was, yeah, felt good. Feeling positive on that. Awesome, that's good. And I've been skipping all my Ironman training mm -hmm. and tapering down to do one single race that was at four p.m. on uh, a Sunday. And so on a mountain bike, so basically uh, just like Ironman. Yeah, basically just giving up all that whole week of training to race at 4 p.m. on a Sunday, and uh, yeah. Get a flat tire. Yeah, but I got to run, and then of course the like 10 guys that got by me while I ran back to the tech zone had multiple triathlon and Ironman jokes for me, so that was great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, thank Shout you for out that. Shout to them, yeah. <laughs> thank you for that. The the party at the back there all had some, some good, good comments for me, but uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> 
always enjoy going out to Bay St. Paul. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. I was so. I was sad to miss that. I loved running there when we were there a couple years ago. That was a bummer, but needed to get home to get some, or back to New Jersey to get books and stuff sent out. And this coming weekend, I don't know how I'm going to get the long run or ride in because I'm actually going to be over at a NICA mountain bike race, uh, working with some young girls and doing a pre-ride with them, doing some girl talk, doing some shred girl stuff. I'm so excited about that. And NICA is like a high school league in the uh, States? The National Interscholastic Cycling Association. So they actually technically also handle collegiate since most colleges it's not like a varsity or whatever you call it sport and is that what that's what the transylvania epic guys raise money for too yeah yeah Yeah, that's awesome yeah i saw the collingwood cycling club's got a little youth group and they have a bunch of women or young ladies i should say out as well i saw that post there just recently so that's good to see it's all sort of thriving i believe the collingwood local high schools are also doing pretty well so mm-hmm. yeah youth cycling is hopefully strong and we're building that grassroots back up so yeah i've been actually really excited a lot of the pre-orders for shred girls have been teachers who are going to put it in their school library so that's really really exciting for me uh any teachers out there listening, you know, might be a good idea. Just saying. Uh, anyway, though, let's talk about today's guest because she is one of my favorite people. I think in the podcast I say multiple times how I have wanted to have her on pretty much since we came up with this idea uh, because to me she's always really like kind of encompassed the idea of the consummate athlete. So today's guest is Mo Bruno Roy, which some of you might some of you might know her. She's from Boston. She's raced as a pro cyclocrosser for twelve years, which I mean everyone knows is just an insane amount of time to be racing at that level. Uh, she's done really well for herself in American cyclocross. She's done well over in Europe. She's you know just really crushed it in terms of developing herself as both a racer and you know, kind of a more subtle version of like a great personal brand, although I don't think she would, uh, she would totally agree with that. But now she's a yoga instructor. She has been a massage therapist for years and years. And before she was a cyclocross racer, she was a runner. Now she's back to running, which is awesome. And she keeps saying she's not competitive. And then she goes out and smokes the competition. Uh, and she's just one of my absolute favorite people. If you ask pretty much anyone that's ever met her or her husband, Matt, about about them inevitably they'll be like oh nicest person in the universe and it's completely true Hmm. yeah i mean it's sounds really good what do you guys get into during this podcast oh tons of stuff we talk a lot about yoga and uh how you can get into yoga as an athlete without being competitive um as someone who's really bad at that it was a really fun chat Uh, You know, we talk a little bit about how young cyclocross people can, you know, find teams and deal with sponsors and all of that kind of stuff. So there is a lot of practical kind of the business of the cycling industry in there. Um, And we talk a little bit about shifting out of being a pro racer and what that means. The other thing with Mo is actually she's in my book, Fuel Your Ride, as the, uh, the vegan athlete. And we talk a lot about how to, you know, be healthy and be athletic on a vegan diet and what are some of the pitfalls that she sees new vegans falling into and what are some of the things she's, you know, changed and tweaked in her diet in the last few years. And to me, that's really interesting as somebody that was vegan for 
a lot of like the first formative years of my athletic career, I'd say, uh, and did it very, very poorly. It's really nice to hear somebody that's doing it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty awesome. So is there anything else for someone like you talk about what she's up to now? Is there, do we find out about, you know, some other movements that she's up to now? Like what other sports is she doing? I mean, she's, she's running and she's doing a ton of yoga. Uh, we talk a lot about actually yoga teacher training. It's such an interesting thing right now because it does seem like everyone is getting yoga certified and, or just teaching yoga without being certified, which seems insane to me. Cause I mean, you know, Peter, maybe you can speak to this, but to me, it's very similar to physical therapy in terms of being able to lead a good class. Like, being yeah, I mean, you have to be is pretty yeah. dangerous. I mean, I think in general is, I mean, it's, it's the same thing as, you know, you can have coaches who aren't certified, but are very smart and responsible with it. But the idea with certification always is that you're trying to insure yourself against that, but there's, you know, people who can get through, you know, by whatever means through a certification too, and be completely useless. So yeah, it's, it's a tough, a tough thing for sure. I don't know where people find the 500 hours to go through the yoga. Well, so that's actually what we were talking about though. Now there's a ton of 200 hour certifications. So it's really just like eight weekends Mm. and then you have it. And that's what we are kind of saying can get into that problematic territory. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, sometimes that works out really well. And I think if you have any kind of background in movement, the 200 hours, you know, should be okay. If you're totally new to it, you know, might not be enough. And I mean, you and I have taken yoga classes at the YMCA where very clearly the person teaching did not have even 200 hours of training. I mean, it was nothing to do with yoga though. And it wasn't dangerous. It was just that the gentleman suggested that we do the YMCA as part of the class, which was not the type of class I signed up for. That is not a yoga move. Like, no. put that out there. No. I mean, I, I enjoyed the situation of doing the YMCA in the YMCA, but... Uh, I mean, it just wasn't a yoga class. I'm not sure what type of class we were I, in. But... I don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, why don't we get into this, let people enjoy Mo's experience and, and her just sort of positive, you know, the motivational sense that you get from her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you yeah. also hear me slam Ultimate Frisbee by accident, oh, which well. I tend to do. She did play Ultimate Frisbee too, which does make me, I admit, want to play Ultimate Frisbee a little bit. So maybe oh. I'll have to go back to our previous episode on it and rethink my stance. A lot of cool people have played it, so you'll have to maybe revisit that. Uh-huh. Well, I'm not very cool, so there's that. Okay. All right. Anyway, enjoy it, guys. What have I been doing? The usual. Working <laughs> a lot, which is good. <laughs> work, work is super busy. Um, yeah, I teach yoga on Monday nights. I massage Monday through Friday, and that's been super busy. I teach yoga Monday nights. And then once a month, I'm an anatomy teacher for yoga, for a yoga teacher training. Oh, cool. So my, my friend is leading, I think it's a 200-hour teacher training. It's a, little, it's a little bit of a loose structure, but um, I come in once a month to teach the anatomy module. Oh, that's so cool. So that's been cool. Nice. Yeah. I keep looking at yoga teacher training, like, 
classes and stuff because I'd love to do that at some yeah. point. But it also requires being in one place, as it turns out. It does. And <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have to dedicate to it for sure to get what you want out of it exactly yeah. and, like, and mine I loved how intense mine was but I was like oh my god it, it almost killed me because I was still racing cross mm-hmm. and I was like I can do both and oh it was god. just it was 2013 and it was just like a super hard year but it was pretty amazing program yeah it's crazy well that actually segues quite nicely so you know in this in this podcast we're always talking about people who are doing you know multiple athletics at once so i feel like that's that's a good kind of kicking off point there so i'm not even gonna bother with uh with doing like a (laughs) blah 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 intro you've okay you've like always done kind of you've always had this yoga thing going in the background or i guess have you always had the yoga thing going in the background i'm trying to think i started practicing yoga when i was a student at mass art um so that would have been like in 2000 Okay. So I, that was when I was uh, working as a massage therapist and um, going back to school to finish my BFA. Um, and then there was a yoga studio pretty close to where I went to school, and I started there. And um, I didn't start racing cross until probably three, three four years later in 2003 to 2004. Okay. Um, but it was definitely something I did once a week. I went to a class once a week the whole time I was racing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, I feel like I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was something I knew about my own body, I think, at that point in time. Yeah. So it's so funny, like cyclocross and yoga to me, because I, I get it, but I also am really bad at yoga because I race bikes or raced bikes how do you handle the yep. competition of cross especially at the elite level you were at while practicing yoga and not falling into the like i can hold a handstand longer watch me <laughs> mentality and that i mean everybody find everybody finds their what they need out of yoga if you go a couple times you you know you might have to try some different teachers or different types of classes mm-hmm. to really find um you know anything that was competitive or fashion oriented or i i don't know it wasn't for me so mm-hmm. i really went to like an old lady studio where people wore sweatpants and focused on trying to relax and breathe and it was a anusara class a lot of flowing and you know obviously some challenging poses but that really wasn't what it was about mm-hmm. so i was able to use it more more mentally as an undoing and I kept thinking like oh this is where I undo the racing I just did this weekend and this is where I hit a reset button to start the week ahead so I can go go after it again so mentally it was a place where I and I thought maybe someday I'll be able to like do yoga as a thing yeah rather than use it as an undoing so in my mental space it was always a place for undoing Oh, so I okay. never put that. Um, it was maybe the only place in my life I didn't put pressure to be good at it, or it was such a relief. Okay. Do you think that actually so, ended up making you good at it? <laughs> I feel like that's that's um, the cool yoga you know, people it's, that it's I want to be like. like <laughs> yeah, and and what you're good at is uh, relative to, you know, maybe your natural strengths um, and things like that. I cannot 
you know, easily touch my toes when I'm sitting without having my hips up really high on a pillow and doing some stuff first, but I could hold an arm balance for a really long time. Mm-hmm. That's because I use my arms for a living hours and yeah. hours and hours a week for the last 20 years. So that's, that's my strength, but flexibility is not my strength. Right. So it, what you're good at is I'm, I'm not good at looking like the picture in a yoga book, <laughs> but I'm good at the version that's right for the body that I live in. I love that. And that's, that's, how I, that's how I teach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I say it's like a single speed. Run what you're wrong. You know, the body you're in is the one you're working with. It's not the one in the picture or the one next to you. So, like, the shape the shape and the benefit of poses is the same even if it doesn't look like a picture totally. or look like what you think it should. Um, and that's, that's important for a teacher to guide people into instead of um, pushing mm-hmm. into another competitive thing that you want to be the best at or good at or better than somebody else. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes... It takes practice, I guess. Yeah. Hey guys, Molly here. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the Shred Girl series. Uh, If you have a middle grade or young adult girl in your life and you'd love to see her get more excited about riding bikes, I really think this might be the book series to do it. Uh, In the series, which starts with Lindsay's Joyride, which is available now at shred-girls.com, Uh, We meet Lindsay, Jen, and Allie, three awesome young girls who learn all about riding bikes, all about friendship, think Babysitter's Club, but with bikes involved. So if you've been trying to kind of tell a young girl that you know about how cool bikes are, this is a really fun way for her to, you know, kind of get a taste of what bike life can be and, you know, how great riding is and all of the cool stuff associated with it. And if you head over to shred-girls.com, you can also show her some real-life shred girls, so girls from all over the place that are doing really rad stuff on bikes. I'm so excited about this project, and I hope you guys will be too. Thanks. Let's get back to the show. It was funny that you said that you don't go for yoga that is like super fashionable, but you're like my style goals as a as a whole. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. So I was, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh man, I spend so much time trying oh, to like. Man. Every time I see you, I'm like, I want to dress like Mo. So <laughs> all right. So so it's a pretty simple. Like there's like there's three variations of yeah. an outfit. <laughs> Oh, it's pretty easy. Get it. Get several pairs of black leggings. Check, check, check. <laughs> yep. You must have a pair of black jeans. Of course. <laughs> and a pair of like dark blue jeans that yeah. I don't know. That, that kind of fit. Okay, perfect. Those are all the pants you'll ever need. <laughs> <laughs> and what you, what you wear on top is some variation of. Um, I like to wear tunic length things like tank tops that are like cover my butt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with either a ta- another tank top or a t-shirt over it mm-hmm. in in any of those configurations. <laughs> if I'm dressed, if I'm dressed up, I just put a dress over the black leggings. Isn't that the best? The dr- like you do that. The dress and you is just... also black. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Save oh, yourself. I so know you're already now. into this, so just, yeah. just don't buy color. Just layer black on black. Yep. I sometimes yep. go a little crazy and do some dark gray in there just to... Yes. 
That's a color. Yeah. That like, is a color. When I'm feeling a little frisky, you know. It doesn't happen often, yeah. but. <laughs> no, I like to layer some gray in there. It's perfect. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, you know, legging, tunic, tank tops, layer combination will serve you for, like, as a massage therapist, I can look pretty put together at work mm-hmm. wearing that. Then I can go right from t- working on a client to teach yoga in that outfit. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd have to remove one layer. And then maybe if I put some boots on and like a little sweater or scarf, I would just go out in the same outfit. Isn't it great <laughs> now that leggings are pants? Yeah. Like my life changed <laughs> for the better in the last yeah. couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> so good yeah you know you have to do like a body check-in once in a while by putting on a structured pair of pants to make sure you I uh, know. you know your body is yeah. remaining the same yep. <laughs> i know i'm like okay can i still fit in these jeans from like five years ago yep all right take it sure. just put okay. them on and take Great. them right back off like i don't go yeah. out in them for god's sake but just just to make sure yeah, I do like when I wear like I have a I have some smaller leggings, so they're like um, they're nice tight fitting mm-hmm. leggings. And I come home from work and I put on even comfier, looser, jammy pants. Oh my god, yes! I've been doing the exact so, same thing lately. It's like the Lulu. Yeah. Uh, I wear the Lulu Align Two pants like all day, and then yeah, I've got like yeah, my Target yeah. sweatpants. <laughs> No, sure. Like, oh man, I gotta get the I gotta get these tight fitting leggings. Yeah. Oh, so constricting. <laughs> yeah. So that's that is my fashion advice. I have one hairstyle. It's called wet ponytail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it well. Yeah. You know that yeah, is yeah. my hair. No matter how long or short it is, it generally has the same style. <laughs> yep. Yep. So you know, I highly recommend moisturizing your skin with good oil, though. Okay, what kind of oil? What's what's the key oil? I use, so for massage therapy and for body and face, I use jojoba oil. Okay. There's a, and there's a brand called the Jojoba Company, and they have a pesticide-free and an organic that you can buy by the gallon if you're a massage therapist, but it's really, really excellent. Nice. Good for skin, hair. Okay. Yeah. I've been really, reading yeah. a take lot care, about take that. Take care lately. of your skin. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's key and that's actually funny it's something i've been kind of learning a lot more lately is like it doesn't really like you said you can have the three pairs of pants and just like mix up a couple shirts but like if your skin and like that kind of like that looks kind of ratty like it doesn't matter what you're wearing <laughs> yeah i mean it really changes how you feel about yourself too mm-hmm. when your skin is really dry or, or tired especially traveling a lot yeah um so i really noticed that the water in belgium is terrible Oh, God, I know. um, Because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of um, combination of farm-type water, hard water. So, Mm -hmm. you know, taking care of your skin and hair with some some oils can go a long way to making you feel a little less weather-weary from travel. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Every time I came back from Belgium this past year, it was just like a week of, like, recovery to feel like a normal human again. And I wasn't even racing. (laughs) Yeah. I was just training. Like, I need some... Right. <laughs> it's yeah, it's tough tough weather there. Yeah. Um the other thing you said though was that you were going to the grandma yoga classes and I just went to a kundalini class that was all it was like me oh, and yeah. like all That's like seventy five year olds. It was amazing. Oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. Had no, I recommend time. everybody try some very various things that they think they would hate or not like and you'll be surprised. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. and you What's the style of yoga that you teach now? 
I teach, let's see, one of the classes is called a Hatha yoga class, Mm -hmm. and the other one is a a yoga for tight bodies, and that's how we've labeled them. They're both slow flow classes, um, really focused on alignment, so Iyengar inspired, Mm -hmm. and um, there's there's always some breathing exercises, some pranayama in there. Um, so I would say that's, that's kind of the style as I really focus on alignment, steady Mm -hmm. movement and, um, more, more, more strength and stability versus athleticism or Mm -hmm. aerobic type speed. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really teach things that are quick because I don't think you can have proper alignment if you're moving too quickly. Totally. Now you were doing yin yoga a couple years ago though, right? Or am I? I do. I do still teach yin yoga. Yeah. I teach a monthly work workshop at the studio. They don't have a weekly class, um, but I do teach a workshop once a month. Yeah. What exactly is yin yoga for, for our listeners here? So yin yoga is, uh, basically a complementary uh, style of yoga that is meant to really stimulate and target uh, the connective tissues of the body. Okay. So it is not a type of yoga that would be your solitary type of yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, like anything, we, you know, you're, you're seeking balance. So it's, it's the, you know, always when you see a description of it, it's described as a complementary type of practice to the more dynamic things you do in life, yoga, running, cycling, etc. Mm-hmm. So there's mostly floor poses or postures that are held fairly passively for up to up to five minutes so two to five minutes is standard Um, and this is this is a way that we would access a positive stress on the deeper layers of connective tissue so that is um, ligaments tendons fascia that kind of thing and normally those tissues we really protect them against any strain when we're doing dynamic movement we really direct all of the stress into the muscular mm-hmm. tissue because it is elastic and it has this um, mobility to it so this connective tissue in our body can often tend to be under stimulated over time mm-hmm. and over repetitive action so this is a this is a yoga style that's meant specifically to stimulate that increase blood flow you know, support the natural elasticity to some of those tissues. Most uh, ligamentous and connective tissue do not have uh, much, if any, uh, elasticity, so they don't really stretch. Right. Um, but they can. But they can. But they're. It's almost. It's almost as if they can contract and then come back to neutral. Mm-hmm. So the idea of stretching, like an IT band. Um, you know, we use the word, I'm stretching my IT band, and, yep. you know, people that study anatomy and physiology are like, well, actually, that doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, so you're, re- you're restoring neutral mm-hmm. or restoring a healthier place for that kind of tissue. So that's what yin yoga is. And it's and it, because you're in these poses for three to five minutes and you're, you know, in some sort of stillness and often silence, it's an introduction to meditation. So mm-hmm. usually your teacher is giving you a bit of a guided meditation um, through the body, through, um, you know, your mental state, what, you know, maybe there's a theme for the class. Some teachers are pretty educated Buddhist um, meditators and things like that, and they can really provide a pretty enjoyable class that's both meditation and, and body stimulus. Okay. Any tips for people who suck at meditating? <clears throat> Me. 
Yes. <laughs> um, so, so a class like yin yoga is pretty good because it can bring you into your body. Mm-hmm. You know, most people, you know, try meditating and I think they bite off chunks, chunks that are way too big. I need to meditate. It's like any, any new thing. Um, I want to lose weight. I want to start exercising. I want to start strength training. You, you set yourself up for failure by saying, I have to do this for 10 minutes or 20 minutes every day. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It's like, you're, you know, if you started a new exercise at that rate, you would not have the conditioning to not be sore and irritated. Totally. So your mind is kind of the same way. So baby steps, you know, you might say, um, I'm going to start meditating with something like a Headspace app, which gives you little bites that are 10 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And so you say, okay, I'll try, I'll try with this app because it's guided. I'm not forced to sit in silence with myself and mm-hmm. my thoughts. God forbid. That sounds like the worst thing in the world for most people. <laughs> Yeah, it's what we're it's what you're trying to get away from. And so often when you get yourself into that silence, and that physical space, all that floods into that space, is all the stuff you want to get rid of. Yeah. So having a guy, a guided meditation is really nice because you're listening to somebody's voice or you're engaging in breathing exercises, which are giving you something active to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kinds of meditation can be really nice, whether it's guided through a class or an app or. Um, maybe you're reading some books about meditation and you try maybe, maybe five minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's a reasonable amount of time or even, um, you know, for, for when people are starting to get into yoga practice or, or stretches and yin yoga, things like that. I, you know, people say, how long should I do this for this pose or this stretch or this roll on the foam roller? And I say 10 breaths. Mm-hmm. Count to like breathe in and out really steady and count to 10. And maybe you do that three times and you call that your meditation for the day. And then when you're ready a couple days later, you try it again and maybe you can count five rounds of 10 breaths. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it builds on itself. So, yeah, I think there's lots of ways to explore what works for each person. Um, there's moving meditation. Some people go for a really slow walk out in the woods. There's, um, it's called forest bathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shinrin I've been Yoku, reading about that I think that it's lately. called the Japanese style of, um, like, moving meditation. I know, I'm, slight, I'm slightly obsessed with the idea of it, right? And so, so that good. really can work for some people. Yeah, it's just, so, so there's a couple kinds of meditation, and one of them is awareness meditation. So it's actually being, being aware of what's around you, noises, okay. yeah. sounds, smells rather than trying to get rid of everything. So sometimes awareness meditation can bring you away from your busy thoughts, but into a more mindful space. Mm-hmm. And that still counts. I like that. That's probably the yeah. one that I'd be able to do. Because, yeah, the whole clearing yeah. room is not not so much my thing, sadly. It feels pretty forceful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't recommend trying to start there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And then... Do you think being a massage therapist has really helped your yoga teaching? Because it sounds like, I mean, you're obviously very well-versed in the anatomy and all of that. So has that made it easier to, you know, shift people in the right direction there? I personally, I think so. Um, Yeah, I I definitely think 
you know, when I got into yoga teaching, I was like, how can I give massage to a group of people? Mm-hmm. So mentally, I was already looking for that space. Like, how do you create both that physical and mental space for people to come in, unwind, work, you know, feel their body worked, and then kind of chill, chilled out at the end? It's very much the same rhythm as a massage. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you go in for sports massage and get deep tissue, chances are they do something nice to your head or feet at the end that makes you forget that somebody just has an elbow like four inches into your glute. So there's like, there's still like an aspect of like, Hey Molly, we just, you know, kind of did some deep tissue work or some friction or something horrible that you were, you know, (laughs) trying to really kind of really deal with and work out an injury. And then all of a sudden you're kind of feeling like you're pretty chilled out and somebody just wrapped in a warm blankie. And uh, so yoga is similar. Mm-hmm. there's always a moment in class where you're like, why did I pay for this stupid class? This, I can't do this pose, blah, 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 blah that mental chatter. Blah. And then all of a sudden you're just like, this nap at the end is awesome. Yes. So I think, I think massage and yoga go together very well, but the anatomy aspect is really um, where it's in some ways, I think I have an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a great yoga teacher training and the anatomy was quite thorough, but I still felt like it was barely scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. Some people had zero anatomy experience and this was their first introduction and they were going to go teach people how to move their body and do yoga poses. And I was kind of like, no, no, you're not ready. <laughs> um, and that's my, that's my own issue with, um, really being like applying anatomy and physiology, kinesiology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I can't separate it. I think it's so important. I think there needs to be way more of it. I think there needs to be so much more focus on it. Um, and I think that's what's, that's the thing that's missing that often makes yoga inaccessible feeling to people mm-hmm. is that it's not addressing their body. It's, it's addressing this sort of generalized idea of a, very experienced yogic body. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like that's sort of, I mean, I'd say like the past maybe 15 years, say like yoga has kind of exploded, right? And it feels like everyone and their mother is getting yoga certified or like, I keep reading all of these, how to have a side hustle kind of things that are like, you like yoga, start teaching yoga. And I'm like, no, don't do that. That seems like a terrible idea. (laughs) Yeah. It just feels yeah, like, and oh, yeah. <laughs> we've definitely moved in that direction. And then, and, you know, even my yoga teacher who runs a Boston yoga school has said, hmm, I've had some uh, existential crises with should I be, should I continue this program mm-hmm. at, at the 200 hour level? And, you know, her expertise is really the 300 hour level and the advanced training. And um, she's really shifted her focus to, um, be on more of that advanced training to really encourage people to grow, grow their experience and not not hastily get into something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I and I certainly feel as a you know graduate from a 200 hour program, I have my Yin Yoga certification, my prenatal yoga certification. I wouldn't feel as confident as a teacher. Um, if I wasn't already a massage therapist for so long. Yeah. Partly because sure. if I if I would not get a massage from somebody who only had two hundred hours worth of training. Totally. Are you like that's crazy. I had a thousand. <laughs> yeah. So so to see a yoga teacher like, Oh, I'm really good at yoga I'll learn the basics in two hundred hours and now I'm a teacher is is a little 
it's a little insulting to people that that either continue like have been teaching for 10 20 years and have huge educations and dedicated anatomy physiology etc mm-hmm. um the yoga the yoga sutras of philosophy and and we're really not doing the same as beginner teachers mm-hmm. and you you know i i do think now there is a shift towards recognizing the importance of um not just pumping out teachers yeah um and I, I and so. I and I do enjoy it. that that shift is happening in my in my view. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just Boston area, but I think that's pretty important for for both students and teachers. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. You know that there's going to be growing pains and change and all sorts of good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get back to your sporting life. Uh, I wrote this as like you've had so many different like seasons in sport because you started as a runner got into cyclocross yeah. like did that and then the past couple of years you've kind of been in this like semi-retired state since was it last year that you officially retired or what year was that it's been, it was it was two years in march okay yeah so sometimes i feel like that movie um uh forrest gump where he's got like all these like things he's done in his lifetime yeah. so every once in a while i tell somebody i'm like oh yeah I I was I was a runner and then I did I went to art school and I went to massage school and I became a bike racer for 12 years while I started my own business and then I went to yoga school and then I did this and people are like what how have you had time to do that Isn't that the and best I, just, like, I, I love it Yes I want to like self high five I feel pretty psyched about that So mm-hmm. so yeah in the last 2 years that I retired from professional elite whatever you want to call it Cyclocross racing, um, you know, I started growing my business a little bit more, teaching yoga more, um, adding the prenatal yoga certification, mm-hmm. um, teaching anatomy, uh, running more. I'm yeah. running a 25K trail race next weekend. Oh, awesome. Or this weekend. Sunday. A couple days from now. <laughs> Yay. So I decided, you know, I did, a, I did a, my first cross-country running race last fall. Um, I had never done that before. I was a field hockey player. My sister ran cross country. I've never run cross country like, either, hey. which seems crazy because I it love was trail running. Super fun. Yeah, it was really fun. It was very fast. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so now I'm going to do my first trail race. And so I decided cool. to um, gr- grow my distance to, I was looking for a half marathon and, and this race is um, a 25K. So it's a little bit longer than that. Um, okay, but so still I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. So, now, yeah, keeping myself busy. Yeah. Well, with that, I mean, have you ever, like, have you had any regrets? Or would you, I guess it's actually the better question. Would you go back if, like, this, you know, someone came up and was just like, we want you to race the lead again for this cross season? What would your, like, reaction to that be? If somebody said that to me right now? Yeah. I would say no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Not, be, not because I regret it. I feel honored that I raced as consistently as I did for as long as I did. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of work it would take to continue that is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And that's why I stopped. It's unsustainable for me, both physically, to keep up that level of training and racing and not get injured or sick. Mm-hmm. And emotionally 
the anxiety and stress is the thing that I miss the least. Yes. And oh you don't gosh. you don't know how prevalent it is until it's gone. Mm-hmm. And it was we it was months after I stopped racing that I woke up. And I was like, why do I feel so different this morning? <laughs> and I realized it was the first time in probably twelve years I woke up not anxious. And yes. I would never describe myself as a chronically anxious person. I was like, no, I'm totally chill. Mm-hmm. I get anxious in situations. I'm not overly nervous at the start line. But the base layer was so high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now that it's gone, I don't miss it. Yeah. And the idea of bringing that level of anticipation and anxiety and um you know, your self-worth is really wrapped up in your performance and results. And I just feel a little too old for that, like to judge myself that harshly anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm ju- I just don't desire that. Um, and that's just me. That's totally just me. Um, I completely understand that. I mean, I never raced at that level in cross, but I mean, I raced fairly seriously in that in triathlon. And I just wrote a post today about that exact same thing where I was like, do I miss it? Yeah. Nope. Nope. Not yeah. that anxiety, not just, like, that constant feeling that, like, no matter what I did, like, I was always missing something. Like, I could be doing more. Could... Yeah, there was yeah. just, it was just brutal. But, I mean. Yeah, and that can be hard. And when it's, when it's, when you race at a level that is um, potentially your job, mm-hmm. you know, I was right above maybe somebody that could get paid. But sponsorship is a responsibility. It says if you're getting paid. Mm-hmm. Um essentially you are you're part of somebody's marketing budget and um you have a job to do yeah at a hundred percent and that um you know it's like any job you don't just go back to doing your job for fun yeah Yeah. i just like it's the only way i can associate it for people who are like oh you could just race for fun and i'm like you just do your job for fun how about if i just walked in and tried to do your job for fun? yeah it doesn't make it doesn't make sense you need the qualifications you need the experience the effort and the ambition and all Mm -hmm. of the things that make you good at your job everybody who has a job um is something that you work towards Mm -hmm. you don't you don't just hop in for funsies um so i could never I couldn't treat something that I only taught that, uh, you know, treated that way as anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, oh, like I could go back to running races once in a while because <laughs> I never did that professionally. Yeah. You know, I never, never did that with expectation at that level. Yeah. Um, I did yeah. in high school and I took a big, big break from it for that reason as well. So, mm-hmm. so what was that transition, the running to cyclocross? I know you and I have talked about it, but like ages ago. So yeah. How did you yeah, find I ran, cyclocross from running? <laughs> it's interesting. I ran the 400 hurdles for a year at UMass Dartmouth coming <laughs> from the 300 hurdles in high school. Um, and I loved it. It was great, but I was, I had chronic lower, lower leg compartmental stress probably stress fractures at some point that I just ran through. Uh, not great. Um, I, you know, I treated my body pretty roughly. Um, and I just didn't want, you know, I wasn't, wasn't really ready to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got into, I, I ended up starting running a little bit more uh, recreationally, I guess, like a couple, you know, 5k kind of distance for health and wellness for, I don't know, maybe a year or so. And then got into playing competitive ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> I always what, that, forget that, and then you say, right? it and it I, kills oh, me." Do you play as well? 
I did, did not. No. Oh, okay. I, oh, yeah, I find I totally, that hilarious, yeah. but I love it. Yeah, so I played with some friends for fun in high school, and then Matt, Matt used to play at Middlebury, like they tra- like a traveling right. team. Right. Um, and he got me back into it, and I played locally for a club team, and then I joined a women's team, and we were trying to make nationals. And I was like, this is great, and I was, like, training, I suppose. I was, you know, we had practice a couple times a week, and I was running and doing all this stuff. And I had a bike at that point. I commuted everywhere. I did some bike rides, and, um, you know, I did that for a couple of years. And then it w- I was, I realized, like, hey, I'm, f- I'm feeling pretty fit. <laughs> <laughs> and I had, um, I had, I was, um, I had just stopped traveling because I was also a soigneur, and I traveled, like, I don't know, most of half the year with cycling teams and Saturn had just wrapped up their sponsorship in 2003. Right. Um, so I had stopped, I had stopped, um, full-time working as a one year. I worked a couple of for TIA Cref. Okay. And uh, maybe that was 2004. Um, that, that basically is why I left being a one year. I was pretty done with pretty done with that um i'm actually amazed that you then then wanted to be a bike racer like being a swanier you get to see like you know behind the like cool bike race part and see what bike racing life is actually like and you still wanted to do it (laughs) yeah that was that was i mean for a long time i was like i would no matter what i was up at 6 a.m and the swaneurs and mechanics don't go to bed until like midnight there's always like work to be done vehicles clean grocery shopping etc and i still was like oh man these athletes have just been laying around all day waiting for a race time or waiting for training time or waiting like this sounds like i'd rather have my crazy job and Mm -hmm. so for a long time i had no interest in uh road racing specifically Mm -hmm. my introduction to bikes was mountain bike racing Mm -hmm. and that's pretty different you know (laughs) even even the even the hanging out is different. And so mountain biking was really appealing to me and the socializing in that way. But road racing was never appealing to me. Yeah. Um, so when I heard about cyclocross, I was like, oh, it's like mountain bike racing, but way shorter. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had like three jobs at the time. And I was like, I have time to train for that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much, I was like, I could race for 40 minutes. That's sure. reasonable. And that's, that was kind of how I hopped into that sport. I love that. It's bikes, it's dirt, but it's short. Yeah. It was new and exciting. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And, I mean, you kept a career going for 12 years. And, I mean, not only were you doing well for 12 years, so I want to know the secrets to, like, how you managed to, like, stay fit and sane for 12 years. So I think yoga probably plays at least some part. But you also managed to, like, keep and, like, really work with, like, really great sponsors over that time too so i want to know what your secrets are for keeping the sponsors that long as well yeah i mean let's see i mean there were there's definitely some transitions in those 12 years so it's 2010 to 15 that i was with bob's red mill right um or there's something about about that and with in with seven Mm -hmm. um uh, cycles that was 2008 maybe um so you know you work with good people first of all mm-hmm. a product you believe in a product you actually utilize um and and are you're willing to work hard i mean my my attitude has, has always been um 
my willingness to work pretty hard to get sponsorship mm-hmm. and to work hard with the with a company, um, understanding that you're essentially part of their marketing team. Yes. And most companies will be like, no, no, you're our bike racer. We don't want you to feel like you're working for us. We, you know, we want you to be able to do your thing. We support you. But at the same time, like their bottom line is what the ROI on this investment is. And right. if you understand that you're their investment, like you will work to that potential if you're willing. Mm-hmm. Um, some some people can't imagine training, racing, and having a job as like doing marketing for a brand. That feels like too much. Or getting the sponsorship in the first place, you know, phone calls, emails. I mean, this is like through, you know, now like there's LinkedIn and there's automation for a lot of things. But there, like, I used to mail, go to, I used to go to like Kinkos or Staples and print out sponsorship packs and mail them by the dozens with handwritten letters to sponsors and products and, um, you know, and then the newsletters we would write and put out after each race and um you know it's a lot of work it was a part-time job just to do the marketing side of a one person race team mm-hmm. um and you know i luckily my spouse is my mechanic and my logistics coordinator and my team manager and we were able to work together um if you don't have at least one other person to work with it can be really tough yeah so whether that's whether that's your domestic partner or or a business partner um i I think it is a two-person job for a single athlete that's a privateer yeah um absolutely to 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 do that but you have to be you just have to be willing to work harder Mm -hmm. like if you want something for free like it's just not gonna happen yeah absolutely you know and if you want your results to be good enough like you need another gimmick to sell Mm -hmm. and i'm not I'm like, oh, my results are pretty good. I'm, I don't, I don't have a thing, you know, <laughs> fashion-wise or whatever. I'm just like, I'm just kind of regular. So my benefit is to work really hard with a brand mm-hmm. and how how we could, you know. So that's where Bob's Red Mill worked great. They were like, how can we work with you and um, try different things? And we they did um, with several of their, you know, little uh, sponsorship things with different athletes too. They did video cooking videos and they had I did like a recipe every week for them and put that on my food blog and put that out and um you know offer different you know different ways to engage in the races mm-hmm. uh, and things like that so yeah it takes it takes a lot of work honestly it's all just work <laughs> work Fair harder enough. yep don't be afraid of hard work yep I will point out that I think your uh, your thing is that you and Matt are literally the nicest human beings on the planet, and I think everyone I've ever mentioned you to will say that. So I think that's also your thing, in addition to being a fast bike racer. I mean, I mean if that's going to be my stick, is that I'm nice, I will tell you that when I was a little kid and people would ask me what you want to be when you grow up, I would say nice, because what? I was such a nerd. But that's literally, I just wanted to be nice. Oh my god. So if I have achieved that, then there's huge success. That's awesome. I once had a five year old tell me I was pretty but mean. So (laughs) well, if that was your goal, then you have also succeeded. Yeah, so I might not be at nice just yet. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> hey, mean, 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 pretty but mean cells in the right, right place. Yeah, right. I could make a career with that. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now, how did you how did you physically survive twelve years of racing at a pro level? Because that's cyclocross is not gentle on the body. I know it's so interesting that when you step away from whatever rhythm you're in, you're like, "How on earth did I do that?" Yep. Like, how is that possible? And so, um. You know, I, I, I could scratch my head and be like, I have no idea how I did that. And, and you know, in 20, oh, what, what year is it? 2013 and 14, I was, I think I was on an airplane every five days. Oh. It was bananas. I, like, yeah. I, because they changed the, they had changed the schedule for elite, uh, domestic elites to chase the ones mm-hmm. and to, do the um, Czech World Cups in October, the Christmas World Cups in December, and then try to get the spot for Worlds. And I just remember, like, how like how on earth did I spend that much time traveling and taking red eyes home every Monday and every Sunday night so I could work on Monday? Oh. I'm like, and so so when you're in, just like anything, and I and I say this to athletes when I'm doing coaching clinics and stuff like that, there's always a moment in your race where you say, like, I just can't do this. And you realize it, there's just, you have to realize you're already doing it. Mm-hmm. And you just keep doing it. It's I not that you, that. you're not, you're not trying, you're not having trouble getting started. You're, you're just, you're thinking I can't sustain this, but you're, you're already doing it. And the same goes for that kind of momentum of racing, training, travel is it, you get, or at least I felt like I got into a rhythm Mm-hmm. Um, where there was a routine to it, and you just your your you just do it. Your head's down, you know. You you eat the same like you eat the same thing. And for me, it was I'd like I eat the same year round. I didn't specialize my food for the race season and restrict myself, so I felt like I was punishing myself during training or any I'd like none of that. Like so, steadiness, um, you know, across the board can really help. Yeah. Any rhythm and routine that you have. So I ate ate pretty consistently all the time and you get into this rhythm of, of racing training. I had to learn how to rest. And um I think it was twenty ten and twenty eleven I worked with a coach named Ben Allette and he used to coach Georgia Gould. And and I would say like, you know, sure, he had great training plans and um you know, he's very well educated in, um, you know, sports and coaching and advanced degrees, et cetera. Um, but the thing he taught me the most was how to uh, recover, mm-hmm. how to learn how to rest in between all of this rhythm of go, go, go and training and eating and all this stuff and really tune into um, how subjective your view of your sensations are. You know, he'd say, how are you feeling? And I'd be like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. And he's like, are you tired? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. But my baseline was basically exhausted mm-hmm. at times. And so my subjective, yeah, I feel fine. <laughs> you know, he was, he was helping me utilize different kinds of training tools to really recognize that I was not only being dishonest with myself, but then being dishonest with my coach and then wondering why my results weren't where they, you know, where I wanted them in my head. So learning how to be a little bit more honest with um am i pushing too hard in other realms 
Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of people will only see. I'm not. You know, they'll see. I'm not overtraining. You know, yeah. I'm not overtraining, so it must be fine. But you know, is standing up and working on you know x amount of clients a week rest? No, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, for is sure. is traveling around the country while you're training for a triathlon and being support for your husband. Like, is that resting? Not really, Molly. (laughs) Like, (laughs) the reality reality is like, oh, I'm sitting right now in a cafe talking to Mo, but you're, like, it's not restful. It's not real rest. And I think we um, need to just recognize that. You might not change anything in your life. You might just be aware. It's that mindfulness of real honesty. And that was a huge thing for me to learn. Um, that mm. I, you know, when I was, when I was needing more rest and when I was tired and, and how to, how to, how to work that around the, you know, I, I couldn't quit my job and I didn't want to quit my job. Yeah. So, you know, he was like, make sure you get eight to 10 hours of sleep then. Yeah. He's like, if that's, if this is what you got to do to yourself and you still want to race and do well, like you need way more sleep. And I was like, okay, I can do that. Like it was doable. <laughs> Yeah. And so it was yeah, that was super helpful for me is to actually focus on sleep, hydration, mm-hmm. you know, really really good nutrition. Um yeah. and, and I want to talk know, about keep, nutrition. Keep a yoga too. practice in my routine where I Yeah. I was going to say I want to talk about nutrition too because I mean, you were in you were in my recent nutrition book Fuel Your Ride. <laughs> Shameless plug there. Um as yes. you know, someone I know yeah. has it's a... in my it's in my office bookshelf for my oh, clients yes. to use. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, what does a day eating like Mo look like? I mean, it's uh, honestly it, it it depends, but um, you know, depends on training or racing, and mm-hmm. and I certainly I I think I did a few blog posts in my recipe blog about that. And that might have been when we spoke um, for your book. I had talked a little bit about um, being a vegan athlete. People are concerned about protein yes. intake um, and things like that. So that that certainly that certainly varies a little bit. Your macronutrient intake, uh, depending on your level of training and racing and exhaustion and things like that. But mm-hmm. in general, um, it doesn't it doesn't vary that much. And you know, getting enough sleep and then eating a good breakfast and, mm-hmm. you know, Bob's Red Mill's a sponsor. So I started like playing around with grains and different kinds of breakfast bowls. Mm-hmm. You know, you can start with classic oatmeal and still cut oats. And most people can say, oh, yeah, you add a banana and, you know, some dried cranberries and some nuts and things like that. That's a very classic kind of oatmeal to have mm-hmm. or adding more fruits to it. And then there's the savory side. You see a lot of people that eat eggs will do like rice and kale and egg. Um, um, and I was like, oh, why don't I do you know, quinoa and kale and I make like a tofu scramble egg kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so you can do a savory version of that as well. Um, sweet potatoes are a huge source of good carbohydrate and fuel, you know, before, especially, you know, before training or building up the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually, whatever I eat for lunch is usually whatever last night's dinner was. Yeah. I'm a fan of leftovers. So if you're, if you don't like leftovers, I, I definitely have a hard time helping people that don't like leftovers. But if you're into cooking fresh meals in the middle of the day, somehow, Go for it. Those people are crazy, um, by the way. <laughs> you know, you might you, you might have to be a little more 
Yeah, yeah, but they exist. I know they exist. <laughs> um, maybe you know there can there can be sandwiches. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if, you know, there are people that hate sandwiches too. I love sandwiches. Yeah, those people are also nuts. That's delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's lots of there's lots of things you can do to um, you know if you're into sandwiches for lunch. You know, I make a really good uh, like it's like chickpea tuna. Okay, yeah. And you know all the things you would put into tuna. Instead of tuna, it's mashed chickpeas. You could probably do it with other beans if those are digestible for you or, or another um, vegan or vegetarian protein source and put that in bread with lettuce and tomato and you have a, an amazing sandwich, which can be a great lunch or something after training. You know, I'm I'm not opposed to snacking in between meals. I, I My body doesn't like huge meals, so I do prefer smaller um, portions. So, you know, that might just be smaller portions of the food you like to eat or some homemade things like rice, rice bars, rice cakes, like the scratch recipes. Um, I've certainly gone through that scratch cookbook and veganized a handful of recipes there, mm-hmm. which is pretty easy to do if, you know, you're looking for alternatives. Uh, that can be pretty good. And then dinner again. It's a lot of, lots of veggie. Like I start with vegetables as the as the main dishes, and then your your protein is your protein should be treated as a side, whether you eat meat or not. Mm-hmm. You know, really building really building a colorful plate or bowl or whatever you're eating with a lot of vegetables, and thinking of balancing your your meals out with, you know, some carbohydrates, some fats, some protein. And, you know, really, really looking at that and adding more of any of those nutrients, you know, as your training increases and things like that. So when I was training a lot, I would have a protein smoothie after my workouts. Partly it was, it was, it's an easy thing to sip on and let my body digest if I don't drink it too fast. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, also a way to get more protein in without having to uh, put a lot more like solid food. Mm -hmm. Um, in my body, which which sometimes can be difficult, so you have to you have to work with work with what you've got and what yep. you, what you like, what your preferences are. I, I am not um, overly attracted to sweet things, sugars and uh, things like that. <laughs> so I I just don't tend to eat a lot of it. I know, lucky me. Um, but it was something I noticed when I when the weather got colder, mm-hmm. I, my um, metabolism increased and I was I was starting to get a little bonky at cross races because I was eating the same I said I ate the same thing I always eat I don't know why I feel don't feel great and I realized my body was trying to keep warm and then then I then that was when I was like okay you know sometimes you have to eat a baked good that is amazing you know whatever donuts cinnamon bun whatever you like to get some sugar fat carbs into your body to keep keep yourself level mm-hmm. um there's certainly you know i could probably have eaten a sweet potato <laughs> just as just as easily but um sometimes it's really the right thing that you're yeah. craving and um you know really really homemade baked goods can't go wrong nope so, so good yeah a pocket yeah so i love that i certainly certainly encourage that as well mm-hmm. i think people tend to get way too caught up in like crazy nutrition plans and stuff and it really comes back mm. to like alan Lim once told me like his main tip is just like don't be an like don't be a dick about food just like, yeah. you know you know what's healthy like 
you at a base level you know what your body needs like colorful fruits and vegetables like not too much it's fine but we make it so complicated well i think i think at some point if you're training especially at an elite level and mm-hmm. then if you're aspiring like you know it, whatever level you're at you're aspiring to 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 cat up or you're aspiring to um you know, stay at a certain level if you're a master's athlete or, you know, you see everybody want, you want, you want the magic bullet. You know, we are, you know, as Americans, like, look at, you know, people love pills. You know, maybe there's got to be a pill for that. There's got to be a, you know, it's, it's part of our psychology. There's got to be a quick fix. You know, it's got to be a, there's got to be, you know, oh, if I drink beet juice, now that's going to be the thing that fixes it. Or if I do this one thing, I'll get that 1% gain. And yeah. even I've been um, sort of sort of fallen into that with my training. I wanted to. I wanted my coach to give me a recipe that if I followed it, the results would be the best cake ever, the best result ever, the thing that I wanted. And it yep. just, just doesn't work that way. It just there's variables, there's flaws, there's physiology, there's there's the head the headspace of the whole um, idea of sport, and the same with nutrition. There's mm-hmm. one one thing doesn't work for every person. Mm-hmm. And I certainly know people that have tried certain dietary restrictions or um, additions and it just doesn't work for them, but it worked for this other person they admire and that can be really difficult. Yeah. For you know, sure. how's that, why does it work for, why does it work for so-and-so? And this yep. is just like, I don't feel great. And, and that can be everything from gluten to, you know, vegetarian, vegan diets and no sugar, like, you know, and and I think I do not believe in restriction to the point of um, feeling like you're punishing yourself. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really make any sense to me. And then the idea that I see a lot of athletes um, have off-season binging. Yeah, it's it's I it, I'm I'm fascinated by the psychology of it, but I'm also fascinated by why. I mean, I I would think that when you're training the most is when you get to eat those donuts and whatever, yeah. rather than when you're not training. I was like, that is that sounds like the worst idea ever. Yeah, um, right. I, I just I don't understand. Yeah, so I don't always understand. Um, you know, when people have you know prevented themselves from having any treats that they then are craving them so badly, or or feel like they've earned this huge reward that they might binge. Uh, too much sugar for the most part that I see and then you know gain weight and then and struggle with the fact that they gain weight and, and oh my god I have to get back in shape for the next season to punish myself again to binge again it's like I see a cycle that's pretty unhealthy um, yeah and I think you know the, everything in moderation like is kind of like the golden rule of nutrition right totally it's so funny that like you know, the healthiest people in the world are sort of like weirdly the least healthy in a lot of ways, or at least some of them are. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, um, on the topic of pills, yeah. did you see that they've come up with, and I don't think it'll be out for a long time, but there is now a pill that emulates exercise? No. Yeah, that Lord. happened. It's, yeah. <laughs> That was really upsetting. Oh, a pill, for, an exercise pill. Yeah, interesting. I'll I'll have to run this by the uh, by the uh, the doctor in the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I got so oh pissed when I read that because I was like, 
oh hell no like I have done a lot of work for this like I don't want anyone to ever yeah. be able to look at me and be like do you think she took the pill <laughs> are, are you taking those exercise pills <laughs> no yeah, I took this I mean, on my curious. own <laughs> yeah. so I'll, I'll have to read up a little bit more about it I mm-hmm. mean it certainly if it's Maybe, you know, I'm always, Matt's always just like, oh, God, like, an eye roll. Mo- oh, you're going to do one of those Mo stories about this person. And so I see somebody really grumpy, and I'll be like, well, maybe their cat died, and they're really sad. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, they're just an asshole. They're not, you know, yeah, and I always, yeah. I've done this historically, like, well, maybe something happened. And so I'm like, well, maybe the exercise pill will help people to lose enough weight or, mm-hmm. or be more energized so that they actually start exercising and enjoy it. No. <laughs> I don't know enough about it to pass judgment. Um, mm-hmm. If it has a medical benefit for people that are suffering from health issues, then maybe it will have have a positive effect somewhere. You're such um, a ray of sunshine. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> And I actually, don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. It leads uh well, it led perfectly into my last question, which is you are one half of a very active couple. How the heck have you guys balanced your various goals and hopes and dreams athletically mm-hmm. while still yeah, not it's... hating each other? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's been it's definitely it's definitely a, a a balance game, and I would say you know Matt sacrificed any exercise and you know freedom every every fall that he worked for me for cyclocross. So I would say he you know for twelve years from basically September to January it was it was the Mo Show, and Matt you know didn't really pursue his own goals athletically at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, that can certainly have its own negative impact, I guess, over time, where, you know, that's, that's a lot there, you know, being an athlete at whatever level is, can be pretty selfish. And when you're, when you're seeing that within your own um, team, your own partnership, you're like, okay, you know, sooner or later, you gotta, you gotta share this. And, you know, Matt certainly has done ultra endurance cycling, you know, since, since after he broke his hip, that's how he got into that. And he, you know, all summer and spring and summer, he's done that. But, uh, you know, a year or two ago uh, was his first fall of riding. And he's like, it's beautiful in New England in the fall. It's great. Who would have thought? Uh, who would have thought? And to be able to maintain that fitness through the fall and into the winter. And, um, you know, he got a fat bike and he commutes all year. And it's for me, I'm like, I'm so happy to see Matt riding year round and being so happy and enjoying, you know, the benefits of his fitness and all the work he puts in all summer to, to be a year long thing. So that's, you know, another benefit of me retiring is that you know, we're both, we're both sharing in fitness and activity year round now. Mm-hmm. And that is really, really nice that there's not a big sacrifice on the end of one person to, um, you know, compromise their training. Granted, yeah. anytime he does one of these ultra events, I'm like in a car for days or, you know, 24 hours. And he'll be like, oh, I tried to, I'll try to cram all the, all the hours I worked cyclocross into like one or two events a summer for you. <laughs> so um, last fall he did a 
1200k in California and it was it was days of you know sort of leap leapfrogging and supporting these guys and I was like I've never I haven't seen sunrise for like five days in a row in years (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so there's there's some benefits to uh supporting each other but um, we certainly do a little bit more riding together now as well. He he got me into some bike packing last summer, Aww. and I'm sort of adventuring a little bit more into longer riding. Um, previous other before last April, I had only ridden a hundred miles three times ever. Oh, okay. And so last year alone, from April to I don't know whatever October, I I rode. I rode a hundred miles six times. It was crazy. It just ended up happening that I did two events with Rafa out in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then, um, we, we did a couple longer days and multi bike packing trips. Um, so that was pretty cool that I was like, okay, a hundred miles is not the worst thing in the world ever anymore. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So we've been able to do some things like that, like multi-day, multi-day camping and bike riding trips. And that's been excellent. That's awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, that's been an hour of your time. I'm so glad we finally found a chance to do this. Yeah, like I said, I've wanted, you've been on my like wanted you on the podcast like since we started it over a year ago. So, yay! Finally, <laughs> glad it worked out. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.